Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 123. I hope that you all had a good weekend, were able to get outside and get out of the house for a little bit, safely, of course, with the coronavirus. But one thing that I am quickly realizing is that you need to carve out some time to get outside, whether it's to take a walk or if you can run over and actually hit a few balls or even just go for a walk on a golf course, something. I kind of felt the walls closing in a little bit last week, so stay safe, stay cautious, but get outside when you can. I'm going to try something a little bit different this week, and that is to bring you a new episode each and every day. Yes, I have backlogged some incredible guests, so I'm going to bring you a new episode every day this week. However, I need some honest feedback on this idea. Is this too much? Should I space these episodes out a little bit? Please give me some feedback and let me know. You know, you can follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The website is thebackoftherange.com. Every single episode is available there. And please leave a review in Apple Podcast. The information on how to do that is on the Instagram page, so please do that. Today's guest is Jimmy Dunn. Jimmy Dunn is the Vice Chairman and Senior Managing Principal of Piper Sandler. He was one of the founders of Sandler O'Neill, and under his leadership, it grew to become the largest independent full-service investment banking firm focused on the financial services sector. You know, before the coronavirus pandemic, the last event to dramatically affect the United States in such a manner were the terrorist attacks on 9-11. Jimmy lived through that and rebuilt his firm, Sandler O'Neill, even after losing 66 of its 171 partners and employees that day. You may be asking, what does all what does Jimmy Dunn have to do with the game of golf? Well, good question, because while he does have some pretty impressive club championships to his name, you're only going to see one USGA championship appearance to his credit. Well, Jimmy is plugged into the game of golf in more ways than you could possibly imagine and seems to know just about everyone. Jimmy said it himself. He has great friends. Well, some of his friends are guys like Larry Fitzgerald. Phil Mickelson, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, and Tom Brady. And that list just goes on and on. Now, in the show notes of this episode, there's a link to a piece that Mike Tirico did on Jimmy for the Golf Channel. It is absolutely excellent. So do me a favor, hit pause, go into the show notes, and watch this piece. It will give you a great glimpse into the man before listening to this episode. Now, this episode was recorded nearly a month ago when I visited Jimmy at his home here in South Florida. It's only been a month, but what a different world we live in today. This is more than just an episode about golf. This is an episode about life. One thing that I think everyone can say about Jimmy is that he lives his life very well. So let's get this episode started. My conversation with the Dunn man, Jimmy Dunn. Jimmy, welcome to the back of the range, sir. Delighted to be here. Looking forward to it, Ben. This is uh, this is quite incredible. So just to set the, uh, the just to set the stage for people listening, uh, I'm in the man's house. I'm in the man's office. And before we got started, you had to take a call or two, and you said just take a look around, see if you find anything interesting. <laughs> I haven't seen everything yet, but the pictures, the memorabilia, it's absolutely incredible. So 
let's start a little bit at the beginning. What's the what's your earliest remembrance of maybe a golf souvenir or memorabilia? Something that like I gotta have. I need that. I gotta have that on my wall. That's a good. That's a very good question. Uh, I guess it's changed over the years, but early, early on, I you know the first place I ever played. The first golf course I ever played was a nine-hole golf course in Dix Hills, New York. Okay. So uh, I that would be, that's the it's no longer there, but I I guess I can remember much later when I was going on a trip to the West Coast, and I remember going to the Olympic Club, and like buying everything. Okay. And then then I thought to myself, why am I doing? Why am I doing? Because you're because you're, <laughs> you're a golf guy like the rest of us. So and I had I had more luggage going home than I had. It was it was. But anyway, but I've. I've, I've, I've become more refined in my in my purchases as time is going on. Okay. Well, it's good to know that Jimmy Dunn is just a complete golf degenerate uh, souvenir guy, just like the rest of us yeah. that just... But, but yeah, the things around here are absolutely incredible. Um, I'm going to ask you a tougher question later about some of your souvenirs, sure. but um, let's start a little bit at the beginning about how you got into the game of golf. This is a question I ask every single guest just to kind of set the stage because... We're going to introduce a lot of things about your life and about your golfing career to, to listeners of this podcast that may or may not know everything. But just to set the stage, how did golf become part of your life? Well, I was very young. My father was not a particularly good golfer. Okay. He loved the game. He appreciated the game. He loved that it was outside. He loved the code of ethics. He loved the people that you could meet and the people that were around the game. And so I built a little, he and I built a little tiny chip and putt facility in the backyard. I mean, it was, it was not a facility. It was just a hole in the ground. Sure. But we, and I'd play that in the afternoon I'd, and I, I, I enjoyed it. And uh, I guess as I got to be about 12 and 13, I, I, you know, I was really just playing baseball and golf at that point. So I became more and more involved with it, and then my father would take me out to the public courses. It was a way for us to spend time together. And like anything else, I, 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 I thought I was good, and that really helped, even though I had a rude awakening years later. But I thought I was, like, really good because everybody told me how good I was. Well, sure. I wasn't any good, but, but they, you know, it, it, I think that had something to do with it. So you start playing the game, and you get better and better, and then you start running into people that are maybe a little bit better than you. And then, I mean, I look around here, and just every there's just so much Notre Dame around this office, around this house, and from football helmets to head covers to hats to, I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible. So when did Notre Dame, because that is still such a very important part of your life, when did Notre Dame... Um, how did you choose Notre Dame? How did you? How did Notre Dame become part well, of your life? Well, it's interesting. Notre Dame, for the most part, represents the, a, a very big element of my non-golfing life. Okay, you know, truthfully, because I was, uh, and and it, it was an important path. Basically, when I was a junior in high school, you know, I played okay, and I had some visions of grandeur. You know, was playing somewhere else, and I applied. Uh, to a couple different schools, uh, and my father didn't discourage my golf. In fact, we went down and met with Jesse Haddock. I, Jesse Haddock at Wake Forest, Wake Forest was not really interested in me, but my dad knew a guy, and he took us to lunch, and, and I remember that very well, and applied to Wake Forest and was accepted. I was also interested in, in Rollins College in Florida, which I had visited recently with my daughter, which is spectacular, uh, 
But I used to caddy for a man named Bob Ty, who eventually worked for this, who has passed away. And Bob was an okay player and a good payer from a caddy standpoint. Sure. That's important. <laughs> it was very important. And he was kind of in that cool guy crowd when I was 14. He was, he and the Joe Milan, they play like $10 Nassau's. Anyway, he lost somebody at the last second at some member guest pro-am kind of thing, and he needed an extra player. I was probably 16 or 17, 16 at the time. I got in the call. We went up to the North Shore to play, and we started to talk about golf and college. And I told him about my choices, Wake Forest or Rollins or Notre Dame and Villanova and Fordham. And he said something that really stuck with me. He said, Jimmy... If you go to Rollins, with all due respect to Rollins, you'll have to basically explain for the rest of your life where it is. Got it. Whereas if you go to Notre Dame, some of the people won't like it, some of the people will love it, but you'll never have to tell anybody where it is. And that, that was sort of a first reality check for me because I knew I wasn't good enough really to play golf, and I have friends that went to Rollins, Johnny Williams in San Francisco, uh, a uh, guy I grew up with played, went went for Rollins, went to play at Rollins, but I was not good enough where golf was going to be a career. So that was like my first cold. And then going to Notre Dame, golf was a very I, I early on when I'd go out to the golf course and the whole rest of the world was going somewhere else. Sure, I felt like I'm missing something. So golf and Notre Dame really were not that connected till now over the last sort of five or six years when I've got very involved with the golf team. Well, I want to ask you about that, but before I do, you know, you graduated in 70, um, you Eight. graduated in 78 in economics, really fishing here, but Dan Rudiger, Rudy, was in 76. Yes. Any connection between you two? None, none whatsoever. I graduated okay. in 78 without honor, and what happened was I distinctly remember I had I have wonderful roommates and this one fellow who was a golfer, Stan Zero, works in the, out in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He was, he was a really smart guy. And I can remember junior year reading in the Observer, which was the school paper, sure. about this guy, Rudy. Right. And uh, I had not heard the story previously. Okay. And then I said to Stan, I said, Doc, who is this guy, Rudy Rudiger? And he said, he's some... You know, he's some unusual guy that lives over at the ACC. Right. And then, of course, that was, I never thought about it again. And then the movie came out, I don't know, 15, 20 years later. And I remember I, I emailed him or I, I called him, I guess, at that time and said, you know, I guess he wasn't so unusual. Yeah, it's kind, of, kind of a big deal. Well, I just yeah. saw that you guys graduated around the same time, so I thought. Didn't, didn't know him. Okay. And, 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 and I'm certain I was at the famous game, but I didn't, I was definitely at that game. But I don't recall it being unique or anything. It was it was not that big a deal. I, you know, at least I was not a manager. I was not involved with the football team. Sure, sure, fair enough. Well, you're very involved with Notre Dame golf. You know, our previous one of our previous guests was the head coach of the team, John Handrigan, and um, I know you're very involved with it. Now these these kids. It was revealed in this episode is that it's really cold up there in Indiana, and they come down to South Florida. They come down to other areas of the country for their practice sessions in the winter. Some of the places they come to are um, Old Palm and Seminole and, and just a lot of different places down here. So these kids on the team have to be absolutely thrilled. But let's flip that around. How thrilled are you to be so involved with that team? And how much joy do you get just being in, that, in the mix there? Uh, I, I've really 
enjoyed both golf teams, the ladies' team and the sure. men's team. The ladies have stayed here multiple occasions. Sort of like I've kind of made it a, not a formal goal, but I try to make an effort that every graduating class can gets to Augusta one time, you know, and I think it's it's a nice thing for them, and it's it's sort of a, how Notre Dame people treat each other. Yeah. So I've enjoyed that, and then we host them at the house. I have a very tolerant wife, and we've had <laughs> both teams. We've actually had the teams here the last three weekends. Oh wow! Yeah, which is maybe a touch too much, but uh, um, I like both the the great group of kids. I've gotten to know the men a little bit better this year because I I was not here. I was at the AT and T when the ladies were here. Yeah, but. Uh, uh, I've really enjoyed getting to know them. They're, 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 they're really, I think about where I was at 18, 19, sure. 20 and yeah. where they are. And it's night and day, uh, not just from a golf level, but from a maturity level, uh, they're gentlemen, they're smart, they're, they're, they understand, they appreciate it. And we've had them through Seminole. We had, we had a great day up at the Grove. Okay. We went up to oh, Grove to 23, Michael? which I yeah. love Grove 23. I, okay. I love the place. And uh, and and we had them up there on the range, which is out of this world. And then we all played the golf course. And uh, Jack Druger and I and Shinnecock took on two of the better players, and they played pretty good. They got to the 16th hole, and then they, you know, they went home losers. Okay. Well, we're make sure we're going to leave that part of the episode. <laughs> we're going to leave that in the episode. Make sure we get that. Um, well, that's incredible. That so you're getting a lot out of them too. Like you're. Oh, lear- we we had a we. I enjoy talking to them. They're 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 fun. They can take the needle a little bit. Uh, they're interested in business. They're interested in. They're they're fantastic. I I I am at the point in my life where I'm looking for younger friends. You know, my, <laughs> okay. your whole life growing up caddying and everything else I've done, I've always had the benefit of having guys that were older than me that really paved the way I learned a lot. And it's been spectacular. That's great. Well, now I kind of want to go the other way. They're a little too young, but I'm talking right. about, you know, but I really like the energy uh, and they're great players. I played, we played at the Grove with everybody. And then with a couple guys, we played over at Seminole. They have very restrictive rules at Seminole. I don't know who put them in charge. Who put, I don't who know. We're, we're, we'll, we'll, but, we're uh, going we're gonna to get to so that because I, I know a guy. Yeah, so. We're very limited. <laughs> As to how much access they could have, and I, but we had a great a great day, and and uh, Mike McCoy played with us, who was obviously a, Walker, a recent Walker Cup player, so yeah. that was a great thrill for them too. That's great. Um, we're gonna jump around because you're you're mentioning all these different things: Walker Cup, Seminole, AT and T, and there's different topics. So I'm gonna completely give sure. up on chronological and just jump into this. So you just mentioned the AT and T. You played in that pro am. Um, you played in it several times. You've had. Gosh, you've had Smiley Kaufman, you've had Patrick Reed, you've had Phil Mickelson, you've had all these um, all these partners over the years. When was the first time that you got the call to play in the AT&T? How did that happen? Because most people watch it on TV, they see this once a year, they may not know how things like that occur. You know, the AT&T, I've always had, a, a, as everybody has had, a long history with the AT&T or the Bing Crosby. Sure. And I can vividly remember as a, as a 13, 14-year-old caddy, being watching the TV and my dad saying, that's Dick Gelb. He's on our board. And it was like incredible. He said, and, and my father was so excited about seeing him on, on, the, on the TV. Sure. And, it, you know, he was not a professional. He was a good player, but he was, you know, he was a CEO of a company. Right. And uh, so I, I can vividly remember that. And then, of course, the lure of Pebble Beach. 
and I used to always caddy for this fella, Joe Milan, who has passed away. And he used to talk about the canyon hole, the eighth hole being the yep. most spectacular hole in golf. And Pebble Beach was so special that those were like, they were implanted in me early as that's a mecca to get to, the combination of the two. Right. And then I, I through a lot of friends out there, probably not the least being Sam Reeves, I got introduced to some people out there. And then I got invited and stayed with Sam my first year, I played, I believe, with Nick Watney. I'm pretty sure I did and didn't play very well. Watney played great. Uh, and uh, Freddie Couples played with Sam. And so we've, we've, I played with Sam a number of years, one year with Alifable and, and Fred. Another year, I think, well, no, I don't think I played with Duvall. I've played with Licklider. You mentioned a bunch of the other sure. guys. But I've really, really enjoyed it. When the invitation comes, I respond immediately and I, I have no expectation of it coming again, but when it comes, I'm thrilled. For for an amateur, now you're you're an accomplished amateur. You've you've played in a USGA event. You've won club championships. You have a course record at a certain club up upstate. And but but how much are you out of your element? Because a lot of my listeners, you know, they're the average guy that that or average gal that plays on the weekends, and then that they play in maybe their their member guest or a club championship. They're really out of their element. How how long did it take you to kind of get used to? getting into that element. I don't know that you ever completely get used to it. Right. And, and it's interesting because I, I have either played pretty well or really poorly when I've played. Right. And I've played poorly a lot out there. Okay. Uh, and it, first of all, it is, I'm a fast player. I'm very conscious of, I can't stand the idea of holding anybody up. And you're going to hold people up. And Phil Mickelson, to his undying credit, before every time, we played maybe five times together, either as partners or in the group, he would take painstaking detail to say, Jimmy, you're here for a reason. You couldn't possibly hold anybody up. Take your time. And I've never played particularly well, particularly as Phil's partner. Okay. And uh, so this year I went out with an attitude that my score was going to be of some consequence. I was going to make an effort, which usually I'm just trying to get out of the way. Then I'm rushing and waiting, and I'm picking up, and I'm terrible. Right. This year I played a little better. I had a wonderful partner. Uh, you know, we, I played with Troy, uh, uh, Troy Merritt, who yeah. was just terrific to play with. And, uh, but I, I don't know that I'm completely adjusted to it. Frankly, the people... They don't affect you. I'm not. I'm not worried about seeing the people, and you're not. Con you're very rarely on TV, so it's not a conscious of that. Right. It's more just being in the. I don't want to get in the way. Although I've had wonderful pros that have never made me feel that way. It's just something inside my head that's you know. In interesting. Because um, what's so fascinating is that you know when you watch that you see all these you know whether they're entertainers or CEOs or musicians or sports stars and all these different walks of life. And I would guess at that level, it's more about the personality and the person you are that gets you that invite and gets you into the such into the places that you're able to go to. Uh, you're there are titans in all sorts of industry. So, well, I have good friends. Yeah, and that's for sure. But I'm certainly not a celebrity, and I'm certainly not a titan. I'm, I, I would be, uh, but I love golf. I have, I have the best friends in the world. But. I've always had the best friends in the world at wherever I was, right. uh, whatever stage I was. And uh, 
I, I, I really appreciate it. And I have wonderful friends in the West Coast. And, of course, I'm able to share with my buddy John Bannon, who has said to me now that he's retiring as my caddy, he wants to be the manager. <laughs> and I, I just said, well, the manager of what? He said, just of overall. The, the manager of Jimmy, yeah, okay. Well, I, yeah, he, you know, he, but so the fact that we've been able to share it together, I, this sounds a little silly, but you can really only share a room now with either your college roommates or your brothers if you go somewhere. It, it's hard to imagine at 63 we're going to split a room. right. Well, I can with John Bannon because we go back to when we were 16 and we've never had a harsh word with each other in uh, whatever that is, 40 plus years. Right. And now we stayed at Dutch McKenzie's house this year, so it was, the, it was, it was quite, uh, quite luxurious, so we didn't share a room this year. But in the lodge, we've done it. And, and I always say that what I loved about college, I love about good friends is in college, I went to bed laughing that's the last thing I did every day. Right. And when John and I used to stay that week, I would laugh. Now, I'd, I, I've, I've adjusted to laughing and then going to our separate rooms. So I've, I've been spoiled <laughs> this year. That's worked out better. But I, I just think the whole thing of, and each year it gets better because you know more people, your relationships are deeper. And I've, I just don't know that I could have enjoyed it more than I enjoyed it this year. Most of the people down here in South Florida and probably around the country, when they play golf, they throw their clubs onto a cart and off they go. Um, yeah, I hate that. I, 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 that. <laughs> I hate that. Well, that's where I'm going with this. How different is the game to you with a caddy as opposed to a cart? Like, I, what are people missing out on and not understanding? Well, I think some guys that really understand golf well still elect to have a cart. Right. And, even like the Notre Dame golf team, you know, John's view is that they can play more holes in a car. Sure, sure. And, and I get that. Yeah. You know, I get that. Uh, but I, I just find it breaks up the rhythm of the day. It makes it everything more difficult. Now, as I play more golf up at the Grove, I better get used to it because I find myself, the, the carts up there are very fast and I'm chasing those guys and I'm 63 and it's affecting my game. So I've got to come up with a plan. I still walk up there, but it's, it's, uh, I got to figure that out. But to me, it's integral to the game is the walking aspect of it. The conversation, the thinking, I, I hate golf carts. It's not even close. I, and I'm sorry to the golf cart industry. No, well, I, I just I, I love the I love a caddy experience. I, I love getting different guys. I love learning a little. I just I just feel like it's it's an integral part of the day. Now there are a lot of guys that want to play 36 holes, and you know I get all that, but then I'll, I'll still walk them in the ground. I can outwalk anybody. So it's just to me, it's a very important thing. I love the experience experience with the caddy. I just I. I it's just you're not a for, even and, you're, and you're a former caddy. I mean, you're a former caddy, and, and I know you're very close with your caddies. In fact, I mean, I, I, it would it be safe to say I've heard a story that you're basically Serge Hogue's PR agent lately. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, he told me this great story how you're up there playing the other day, and you're saying, "Hey, we got a we got a celebrity in our midst. This guy's been on a golf podcast." Well, he has been, and Serge is a <laughs> is a mini celebrity in his own right, and a great guy, and he loves Seminole, and he loves Pine Valley, and and he adds a lot to the day. I mean, we played the other day, and 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 having Serge and Schoolboy out there enhanced the day. Yeah. And I, I never tease anyone that I don't have a reservoir of goodwill with. Of course. I, I, and now, if I, 
I shouldn't say that because you can still make a mistake. I may perceive I have one and I don't. But you can tell when somebody early on if you've made a mistake. They will bristle. They won't be able to take it. I can really give it, but I think I can also take it. And I do that with caddies too. I mean, I spoke, you know, Larry Fowler's my man up at Augusta. And, you know, he's got, he actually has a, a, a little surgery today. And we talked last night and, you know, I said a couple things to him that, you know, he laughed and laughed. And I love this. I love that laughter. I, I love those guys. Yeah. I mean, I, they add a lot to the whole to the whole experience to me. OK, so we're talking. Let's talk Seminole. Ph- phenomenal course. Lo- tons of history. I mean, this was this was Hogan's place when he got ready for the Masters with with George Coleman every every spring. And now we're you're, you're member there, president of the club and I guess one of the things I want to talk to you about is the Walker Cup. You know, we first met. This is the first time we've actually met in the United States because we, we met over at Royal Liverpool last year. And the Walker Cup is coming to Seminole in 2021. You know, you're known in, in your day job in the, in the financial world. You're known as a, as a great deal maker and you have your philosophy on what makes a great deal. How did the deal of the Walker Cup coming to Seminole happen? Well, it's 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 amazingly uh, simple, actually. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, no, it's it's not. Truth be known, I had been thinking about it, okay. and I thought, what a I I love the Walker Cup event. I think it's unique, it's special, and I think when these guys get introduced, uh, representing their country, that first tee is a is a, a very emotional place to be. Yeah. So I had been to the Walker Cup at Chicago Golf Club with my son CJ. Okay. And I enjoyed it enormously. That was a long time ago. Uh, I I I was out at the National Golf Links when it was there and I just thought it was absolutely spectacular. Yeah. Uh, it's a very it represents all the good things about patriotism and golf and competition and I just love it. Obviously, I you know, I wish I I would have loved to be able to you know, forget it. I mean, but I would have loved to be able to, comp- and that's oh, not sure. even close. Right. You know, but everybody would. But so I had actually been thinking about it, and to his never-ending credit, we I had played in the tournament out in the West Coast. Okay. And we were flying back east after the hook and eye, and Mike Davis was in the front seat. And he had said to me, Jimmy, I'm a new member of Seminole. I don't want to be presumptuous. I'm not entirely sure how everything works there, and I do not want to get off the wrong foot. But do you think someday at the right time that Seminole would ever consider hosting the Walker Cup? And I'm just not to cut you off, but when, when did this conversation happen? Uh, I just- should know exactly. It was, a, it was a Sunday in June, and it was way before it was at the National. So it was maybe... 2011? Yeah, maybe before then. Okay. And, Interesting. Uh, okay. And so I'll get the... I should no, no, that, it, that's, but, that's but, perfect. Uh, Just, it, yeah. it, was, it was a while ago. Okay. And I had... I didn't say anything to Mike. I hadn't said anything to anyone. And I had been thinking about it. Okay. And so I said, let's do it. And that was it. Well... And then, I mean, that put it in motion. Well, that's yeah. pretty close to it. That you was know? it. And, uh, and so after I said that, I then talked to a couple people that I have a lot of respect for that I didn't think would be for it. Okay. And I talked to them, and 
I heard everything that they had to say, and I was still felt like it was something important for us to do. Right. And uh, we then met at the National. At the we met over at Sabonic and the Mike and I and uh, uh, Tommy O'Toole. Sure. And um, a couple other guys from the USGA, and me. And basically, they went went through a whole. And I said, "Look, th this is how I think we can do it." And Let's go. And then in October, I was at South Bend. I was at a Notre Dame football game, and, and Tommy called me and said, you know, if you'll, we'll, we'll, ex, you know, we'll, we'd like to come. I mean, I, we never actually formally submitted. Sure. You know, and so uh, I said, Let, let's do it. And then obviously, everybody has really caught fire with it. Oh, yeah. Well, if I remember right, the only time that the general public is allowed at Pine Valley is during this, the final round of the Crumb Cup. You know, they charge an admission fee, and that all goes to charity. So what is – do you know what the fan experience is going to be like for the Walker Cup at Seminole? Well, it's new to us. Okay. We, we've never had anything close to that. Right. Uh, I just say Pine Valley at least has that – they've hosted a Walker Cup. Right. And they at least have that experience if you can get to, to Sunday afternoon. I've gotten to Sunday morning, but I, uh -huh. I was out of there su Sunday afternoon the one time I was there. But uh, it one time I got there. But uh, uh, so I don't I don't know. That was like, unfortunately. Right. I wish I could tell you I did. Sure. But I don't know exactly what to expect. I think I think it'll be in May. The weather should be good. Yeah. I think you know we're expecting maybe five to seven thousand. We'll do our best to accommodate everybody. Uh, you know, it's a unique place. I think due to its history and its mystique, I think that a high golfing aptitude. We'll yeah. want to stay and watch it, and we yeah. hope they do. Yeah, I think it's incredible. Um, I've spoken with, uh, so I want to talk a little about your playing on the USGA event. You know, we, uh, I've spoken to a lot of, well, guys that you know, Jay Sigel and, and McCoy and Holt Grieve and, and Vinny Giles, guys that have USGA championships to their to their credit and numerous USGA championship appearances, and. Um, you qualified for the 2018 U.S. Senior Amateur. That is your uh, your your lone USGA appearance. That's correct. And I want to ask you, we've just since I've been here today, I've seen you take you know calls and and you're got. I can't even imagine the number of things that are on your mind during a call and also right now when you're thinking about other things. And how do you shut your brain off? And this would relate to just about anyone in any walk of life. But how do you kind of push everything away that you? in the business world or in your personal life, how do you shut off that brain and then focus on your golf to get the most out of your golf game? Well, it's, it's an, it's a, it's a very nice question because you're, you're, it's assuming, assuming, assuming that there's I a lot do. going on. Okay. <laughs> you assuming know, you do. When, when you're assuming there's a lot going on in okay, my brain, okay. which that, that's the first complimentary yes. thing you say that, okay. that, that I could have more than one thing going on, which I appreciate it. And the second is that I've played good enough to do it. Uh, the reality is, Sometimes better than others, okay. you know. And we had the Walker. We had a great dinner here the other night, and I talked about how playing over the years with Vinnie Giles has been so valuable to me, and I've always coveted his focus and concentration on every shot. And what I I didn't really realize it until I actually said it that night is I've always coveted it, I've always admired it, and I've benefited from it. And playing with Vinny, I've always said, I've had a lot of great partners, but if I had to play with a partner for my life, I would take Vinny. Wow. And now you have to understand, it isn't that I think Phil couldn't beat Vinny. I think Phil can beat Vinny. Okay. 
Okay. And I love Phil. Okay. But but Vinny makes me play better. Understood. And whereas Phil, I'm maybe I'm intimidated. I don't know what it is, but I have not played my best with Phil, and it is certainly not Phil's fault. Sure. Okay, obviously, all right. But my point is, is that I've had this enormous, and I've observed it for a long time. I've appreciated it, and when I, what I've been able to do is, do it in other aspects of my life. I've been able to put that laser effort and focus into other things, and at times into golf, but not as consistent as I should through all the time. And I will do that going forward. I, I One of the advantages of having a mediocre career is I don't feel like I've peaked yet. And I really believe I can still play good golf. I mean, you know, I only get one day to get a one to the senior amateur shot. And, you know, that's hard. And you yeah. know, now you can't, sh I can shoot 73 and play, I fairly played really well, but 68 is going to get in. So, I'm just very grateful that at that moment in time it all came together and I played had that round at Tavistock and I'm grateful for Billy McGinnis to help me get there and coordinate it. But, uh, but the answer to your question is I'm still getting better at that. I'm still learning to get better at that. But I have incorporated it almost in every other aspect of everything I do. So... I don't know if that answers the question. It does. It sounds you know? like it's a work, still work in progress. Well, it's a work in progress for sure for golf. What I, what I try to do on whatever the situation is, including 9-11, frankly, is I imagine an incredibly complicated, long math problem. And I look at the whole picture and understand where the, where the, where, where the equation is and where you, how you have to balance both sides. And, but I don't. I see then the enormity of the problem, and then I'll find a bracket within the problem that I can get started, because somewhere in that problem there is four minus two, and I know the answer to that. That's two. As soon as you answer that, you know you got to multiply the other bracket. So I, I then. So what I try to do is look at the whole picture and then break down with specificity something to get started to build momentum on, and I. Whatever situation, and candidly, 9-11, I did that. Uh, I do it every day at work. I do it in a deal. And I'm trying to do it better on the golf course and trying to just think about what is ahead of me and get target-focused and get, get the 4 minus 2 part. Hit the fairway. That's, that's all you, Don't worry about qualifying. Hit the fairway. And so, sadly, I've been more successful outside of golf employing that than I could have in golf, but I'm not giving up on it. That's incredible. I I want you to explain to listeners what you mean by refined desperation. And then I'm going to take that and then ask you a question on that if you don't sure. mind. Well that's uh that's I, I've only this is my third podcast I've ever done, but that that was the first one I did where it came out and my buddy David Novak is a hell of a good interviewer like you. Uh I don't know how he got me to, because I played a million rounds of golf with him and we never talked about it, but somehow what, what I mean by that is when I used to interview people, and don't mean to be vain, but I think I was pretty good at that, and I think, if you, I think I've got a lot of evidence that I was pretty good at. Sure. Okay? To me, what I wanted to see, because if I... When I went to hire someone, it was never going. It would never be pleasant, you know. This this uh, writer for Fortune, Katrina Brooker, who we're now friends with, wrote an article, and she 
uh, and about us, and, and she told my, it's a long story, but she happened to be talking to this young man. The young man, he said, you're interviewing at Stanley? Yes. How'd it go? Well, he's a really nice, nice guy. guy. And, of course, she said immediately, you didn't get the job because Jimmy is really nice to people he fires or people he doesn't hire. He is not overly nice to people that work there because he wants to see what they got. Sure. And I darn well do. And so what I would try to do, if I thought a man or a woman that I was interviewing had something that I thought had some talent, had some skill, and could be good, then I would try to figure out a way to create angst and to see how they reacted. And they had to have this unbelievable desire to succeed. It had to be more than just something else. Because that's the number one number one thing you need. You need a you need to feel like it's my success here or breathing. I'll take either. They, you, it has to be that important to you, right? And so so, and you see that, and then I actually could believe that I could actually see in their eyes the tension. I know it sounds a little crazy, but I and I can think about a lot of people I've hired this way over the years. But when you could see a little the tension in the eye and then that desperation to succeed, but still the res restraint not to be crazy about it, sure. then I had something. Now, honestly, I didn't plan all this out, and it all came a result because somehow David got me to say this, but the re that refined desperation where they're absolutely committed and dedicated to succeed but it, so much that they'll go to the limit, but not go crazy. Does that make sense? That does. And the reason that I wanted you to lay the foundation and the groundwork for that is because you're around a lot of PJ Tour players. You're around a lot of these college players. You're around elite amateurs. And who are some of the guys that you see that in, where they are just they're just not there for the the cushy golf life, or they they are just like I have to succeed in this. And I don't care who's in my way. I mean, I'm not going to be a, a, like you said, I'm not going to be a psychopath about it. But, man, I am going to be a success in this. I am going to get to the top of the mountain in the game of golf. That really, when you step back and look at these people, you're like, wow, that looks like a, that looks a lot like a 27-year-old a, a kid that I hired, you know, 20 years ago or something like that. Have you had that? Absolutely. Okay. Well, I, I, a couple come to mind. Okay. And, uh. Uh, I, I the first guy, believe, I, I would say Phil. Phil okay. is desperate to succeed. I mean, he's crazy. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, he's absolutely crazy, but he's desperate to succeed. And I and I love that about him. Uh, Rory McIlroy, you know, he's he's incredibly nice, and he's, you know, he knows this. He's smart, and he says things the right way. He will cut your heart out, and I'm all for it. Justin Thomas, he's going to be a big success. He's already a success, yeah. but he's because it, it's it means more to him than than other people. So uh, I would say most at that level. I know I know you can't question Patrick Reed's desire. I mean, you I'm not. I understand at times that some things have happened, but Reed is a friend of mine. I love playing with him as a partner. Uh, he he is a, you know and I would say this when 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 he makes a bogey the whole group feels it and so okay. that's good and it was the same with Vinnie Giles with Vinnie it'd be a little more refined you know but uh, but 
Vinnie Giles was that way. I mean, and and yeah. so uh, I just think that's really, really special. I would say this though, it can manifest itself in different ways. So I would say to me, it's obvious in the guys I've mentioned, but that doesn't mean in a different way that Ricky Fowler. Uh, you know, doesn't have that same thing. It's sure. just he presents it in a different way. He wants to win. How are, I promise you he wants uh, to yeah. win. Yeah, how are your yeah. casual games with these guys? Because when I, I've always thought that, it, you know, like I know you're big about like if there's not a pencil in your hand, then it's not really, it's not the same thing. It's not golf. I mean, if it's just a casual hit and giggle, like I, I cannot fathom you playing a game where there's breakfast balls and just raking away four footers. And uh, I mean, I would imagine that it, you know, it's, it's, you're all in when you're playing. Well, I, I want there to be blood and pain okay. in, every, in every event. I, <laughs> okay. I, 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 I don't fully enjoy it if there isn't pain and a little blood right. and hopefully some tears. Now, not everyone can is good in that arena. Of course. There's some guys, they can't take it. It's not appropriate. And so, you know, sometimes you'll wander, wander around. And, and I, truthfully, I don't like that. Right. But, but... I, I and I've had no success recently, but you know I've had a hell of a time recently with, with different partners against McElroy. And not that it's really against him. He's you know he's, he's I mean it's important to me. It's not important to him. But you know Larry Fitzgerald and I got got beat pretty bad up in Boston with Tom and uh, and, and 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 Rory. And then I then tried to get another partner, and he we got a but you know so I I want I'm a bad bad winner, and I'm a I'm a good loser. So, okay. so I, there's a lot of like teasing and back and forth and, 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 and for the most part, that, that's the beauty of it. You, 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 I want there to be some angst yeah. for me and for them too. Now, obviously there's not going to be a lot of angst yeah. with Roy McElroy, but, but he and the, his dad and I played him and, um, who was, who was his partner? But, uh, God, that's terrible. I've forgotten already, but, but it was a good, good situation. Jerry and I had short putts. He had a short putt. Rory said, good, good. I said, no. You know, and then, uh, <laughs> yeah. of course, I missed. Jerry missed and Rory made. Oh, yes, it's awful. Oh, so backfired. Who the hell was Rory's partner? That, but, uh, but anyway, that, that, you know, so I like that. I, 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 and I would say no again because, uh, but anyway, it would be a mistake again. He'd, he'd make again and I'd probably miss again. But I like there to be, uh, I like there to be something on the line. And that's yeah. why I like, as bad as I play, and I just recently played in the senior club championship qualifier and I didn't play well but I tried on every shot it was the best that I had and and I I, I enjoy that I yeah. don't enjoy just walking around no, no I don't. you want there to be something I on want the there line. to be something on it yeah no that makes sense um so one of the things with uh that I I just learned so um the name of this podcast is the back of the range mm -hmm. you have a very unique uh role during the masters that's right you're in charge of one of the best driving ranges, practice areas in the world. Yeah. You're you're running the range during the Masters. Um, the, just share share a little bit of what that's <laughs> like because I mean the average golf fan is never going to get to the Masters, and the ones that do are out on the course looking at it. But I've always felt that that has to be one of the best tickets in town. It's, so talk to uh, me about well, that well, job. Well, let, let, let me start from the beginning. Okay, good. Okay. I don't run anything okay. at Augusta National. Okay. Uh, that I want to be crystal clear about that. Okay. Even within the range function, I am David Dorman is the 
if something goes wrong, he has to go see the chairman. Gotcha. Now, since we've been involved in the range, the performance has been perfection. So we have done nothing wrong yes. for the entire time. But the I'm like in charge of telling people where the fried chicken is. Okay, that that's that, and okay. I eat a lot of the fried chicken. Okay, but but, but I am very fortunate to be on be involved in the masters tournament to have that role i enjoy it incredibly uh it's a one you know it's one i love to what i love frankly is watching the tone and the atmosphere change from sunday to thursday to sunday okay and it's really fascinating because i i over the years i've gotten to know a lot of these guys i've gotten to know their caddies uh uh, I, 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 I study anybody that's any good at anything to see what are they doing that I'm missing. I watch them closely, and I find it so interesting that on Monday or Tuesday, I'll be hearing, hey, dumb man, what shoes do you have on today? And how's everything going? Or Notre Dame got, you know, got beat last night. Or really, right. to Thursday, good morning, Jimmy. Uh-huh. Or good morning, Mr. Dunn. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to watch. And then as it gets later on, it, it, you can feel it. It's palatable. And, and uh, it's, well, first of all, it's a spectacular event. I sure. don't know if there's a greater event in sports than the Masters Championship. Now, I'm completely prejudiced. I haven't been to everything. But I can't imagine it being better, except they will figure out a way to make it better next year, which is really an unbelievable dedication. And the work that everybody is involved with so I, I'm there kind of like, uh, although I did, I did do one contribution. I did get, a, I was making sure we had all the caddies' names. And then I, I'm, you know, that's a long story. But that, 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 that made the whole, made it much more of a convivial atmosphere. Because then, you know, frankly, sometimes when you see a pro or somebody that you've seen on TV, right. you're apt to say hi, but he doesn't know you, and then he doesn't know what to do. So what I did is I memorized all the caddies' names, and so I would say, hey, John. And then, and then he would stop, and then I'd say, John, Jimmy Dunn, and then, and then the caddy would then say, well, you know, in that case, John Thomas was then caddying for Luke Donnell. He'd say, Luke, do you know Jimmy Dunn? Well, of course I know Jimmy. And so that, and all that, you know, do you say hello, do you not say hello, was over. But brilliant, I, brilliant. Well, it wasn't brilliant, but it well, was, it, I was, one, I wanted to know their names, two, now, of course, I had, you know, I committed them to memory. The rest of my boys, they got a little cheat sheet, which they looked at. Now, I, I have the cheat sheet now, too, because they change. But it, the atmosphere out there is very professional, but it's also we're trying to make people comfortable and, 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 yeah. and, and, and trying to also, you know, be available so the fans can enjoy it. And, and it's just a spectacular experience. There's no doubt about it. You ever get lost in the moment on the range? They're just watching some guys hit, and you just kind of can you just the eyes just kind of glaze over and like who would, if if they're selling a ticket to a guy to watch him hit some balls, and you're like, I just want to get me a chair and sit down for I a have, while. That happens a lot. Yeah, and it, it and it's amazing. It's amazing how good they are, and you actually can see sort of subtle differences as the. He's particularly, you know, he's either more confident or not. But you're not always, you're not always right. Okay. I, I, I can remember vividly the first time, Bubba won. I, I thought he was, he was unbelievably tense uh, Saturday and Sunday morning, and he was, 
I could feel it. And I said, boy, I, I think he's going to have a, a heck of a time out there. But yeah. he won the Masters. So yeah. sometimes it manifests itself in different ways. But I, I, I'm always looking for something to make me a better competitor in any arena. So I'm watching him closely. And you'll see subtle changes during the week. And you'll see... But, you know, who's out there really ready to do something? Yeah. I, you know, I would... And everybody has to... You have to have your own style. You know, Brooks Kepker is on a business trip. Yep. He's he's there. Good morning, Mr. Dunn. Good to see you. Please call me Jimmy. Okay, Mr. Dunn. And then he goes, hits his ball. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, whereas other guys... And, of course, I know them better. You know, it, it just... But it, it's a matter of style. You don't... You got to find your style. You got to be true to yourself. And you got to figure out how to get it done. Yeah. And that, that's what I enjoy watching. And then and, and watching as the tournament evolves, too. It's fun. Interesting. Um, you've mentioned Tom Brady. You've mentioned Justin Thomas, Patrick Reed. And uh, the one thing that a lot of these guys have in common, which, and we can go down the line, but you really gravitate towards underdogs a little bit, don't you? I never thought of it that way. Uh I consider myself an underdog. underdog yeah. I really do uh, in everything I do. I mean, still now, I I, I still uh, I, that yeah, that's an interesting. I've never heard anybody say that. That's uh, I, I guess you know some of the brilliance of Brady is <laughs> how can we think of this guy <laughs> as an underdog? Hey. And that that's the brilliance of Tom Brady. I mean, he's he's got a magnificent family. He's got. I mean, a career to die for. He's smart. He's engaging. I've heard he's attractive to women. I don't, I don't think wow. he's particularly attractive, but I mean, but, uh, but I mean, yeah, I, it's uh, the fact that we think of him as an underdog is, is a shock, but, uh, but I, I guess I, I do. Yeah. I guess I, that, that was always been my sort of mentality. Uh, you know, my mother who was, uh, you know, not always right. Uh, you know, she used to always talk about that, that, that sort of the it's an age old thing was that Irish need not apply, and so she really well she hated prejudice of any type, and and she she was not one to accept a mediocre performance. She was she didn't really care about the facts. Now some of this probably wouldn't have been the best advice, but for me it was fantastic. It really. It just allowed me to approach things different, which is a very much of an underdog mentality, and uh, so I guess I guess I do gravitate. But I I I don't know if we can really consider Roy McIlroy an underdog anymore. But uh, right. But but uh, so he's not. But uh, but and I do root for him hard. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess he absolutely. I w I would say it's it's you know I'm not a front runner. That's for sure. Gotcha. Um so one thing we haven't spoken about, which is uh, not hasn't shaped your entire. It's not your entire life, but it's definitely a very important chapter in your life. Um, and we've talked about how to discuss this in this episode because you've discussed it many times. It's something that's very well chronicled. Um, your your comp your company, um, you know, was was uh, headquartered in the World Trade Center. Uh, lost 66 employees uh, during the 9/11 attacks. You were 44, 45 years uh, years yeah. old at the time. So Sandler O'Neill, this is something that's been very well chronicled. It was done magnificently by Mike Tirico and uh, and the Golf Channel. 
Uh, this is uh, it was a phenomenal 60 minutes piece that was done uh, the year following the attacks, which was I can't imagine what that was like trying to put that whole f- put put the company back together and put people back together while you have a TV crew around. So that's incredible. That story is is as I said very well chronicled. It's available for anyone to look up and see. But it's been such an important part of your life. Um, we're coming up on 20 years since, uh, yeah. since that's happened. Can you maybe share just um, share a little bit about how it has shaped your approach to how you've lived your life since that's happened? That maybe has not been part of your life before that happened, if it's possible. Well, it, I'm, I'm, I'm interested actually in that question. And, and the thing that I have thought about and said so many times when something massive happens to someone or, or you lose a friend. I recently, we recently had our, one of our great pals and roommates, Jimmy Martin, succumb to a pancreatic cancer. And, you know, there's a tendency to say, okay, I'm going to reshape values or I'm going to reshape priorities. And I've always tried to be crystal clear about the fact that I didn't learn anything from those terrorists. Their actions did not in any way put me into a position of reevaluating my priorities. I didn't all of a sudden think my faith was important, my family was important, America was important. So I, I, I don't give them I don't want, I want to be crystal clear that I got nothing from that, okay? But it would be unrealistic to say that the intensity of those priorities did change substantially in the sense that when I put my kids to bed and I hugged them, I recognized that Chris couldn't do it to his. And so under any circumstances, I'm certain I held on for 10 or 15 seconds longer and harder. So the intensity with which I have gone after things was was magnified in everything that I did. And I still think very much in terms of you're not really entitled to anything. You better maximize what you get. Earlier, when when I you know I asked my sister not you know that I'm doing this, so you know the phone rings a, a lot as you as you commented on, and I like to do a lot. So I, I don't want a day to pass where I don't feel like I've at least accomplished something. And some days I don't, and it's quite frustrating. But I want to do I, 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 the intensity with which, which I approach everything has been magnified. Now, the fact that it's close to 20 years is shocking to all of us because in certain ways it feels like 10 minutes ago. In other ways, it felt like 100 years ago. But it, I, I do keep in touch with different families and different sure. young kids that, you know, they're looking for jobs now a lot of these kids and we're you know so i i 
I would just say I didn't learn anything. I didn't reprioritize anything. But the intensity that I approached everything was magnified. That's uh, that's well said. Yeah, they're very well known that you've put. Oh gosh, how many kids have you put through college? Well, I didn't. But the foundation, yeah, the 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 found the foundation, we we were we did what we should do. I mean, right. we we all did everything that we could do, and we would continue to. Yeah. And 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 you know, I well, I guess we're not to bring the full. But no, no, you're I mean, fine. But, uh, that's right. But uh, but the you know, I, I as a. I, September 11th was their day. September 12th was our day. Yeah. And every time you get a September 12th, you ought to be really grateful, whoever you are. Yep. Uh, I forgot one thing I wanted to throw in at the very end. Um, you know, you could easily, you know, you've played all the, a lot of the greatest golf courses in the world. You've been a member at, we'll say, more than one. You could easily just be the guy that gets just to, gets just to play golf at these great clubs, and, and that's it. But you're involved in restoration and course architecture a little bit with Corin Crenshaw. Is that correct? Can we get into yes, that? Yes and yes and no. Oh, but, but I guess I'm just illustrating that you're not just hey, I'm going to go play my game and that's it. You're involved with you know bringing the Walker Cup to Seminole. You're involved with a little bit of course uh, shaping. You really do care about. Well, I do care about the I, amateur game. Oh, oh, I care greatly, and uh, it, it that that sort of came about the way most things come about for me. I I have an idea, I recognize that I'm not the guy to do it, so I find the absolute best at it, and and I, I, that's not an accident, and you know it really is not, so. When I became the president of Seminole, especially to Tim Neer, who, who was my predecessor, I, I, I was determined that I was going to make sure I did the best that I could possibly do. And I, would, I might make some mistakes, but I was never going to play scared. Sure. Never, ever. And I don't play scared. And uh, so I started to look at some different things on the golf course and at Seminole, we have a lot of people that know a lot, and we have a lot of type A's. And so I, I really tried to think of, okay, I've got to have like a supreme court. And, and that's the way I kind of looked at it. And I've always had great admir- admiration for Doak, for Gil Hance, and, and Tom. And uh, so, but I, I just, I, I'm a member of Sand Hills. And so... The, that Corin Crenshaw thing, I think, is the greatest golf course that's been built in 50 years. Wow. Another one that I think is really, really good that I wish I had joined when I had the opportunity to is Friars Head out in Long Island. Okay. And uh, both were done by Corin Crenshaw. And so I thought, I know the way they go about things. I know how serious they are. Before I decide to do anything, and I think what it started was was a very what it was is I think it was the first tee. I knew that the halfway house that they put in shouldn't be there, and that wasn't even my idea. That was John Martin's idea, and so I thought, okay, if I'm going to get someone to work with, I want to get someone that is really really knowledgeable, and I w- I don't want to deal with 16 different guys at Seminole, and so I had a combination of Corin Crenshaw. And then obviously John Martin 
and now Kelly Miller, with the help of Bob Ford and Hal Hicks, I put the right team together. And all I was ever trying to do and all we're continuing to do is to basically polish the diamond. We, we didn't find the diamond. We didn't build the diamond. We, they were given the diamond. Yep. And like anything else, over time, you know, it, it, you, you got to polish a few things. Sure. And that became a bigger job than I originally thought. And, it, and I think it's been a, a great outcome and continues to be a great outcome. But what, like everything else, I tell people, I very rarely have a good idea. I mean, that, that's the honest truth. Even with Sandler, with almost everything I do. But when I hear a good idea, I can really implement it. And that's, that's, that's true at Seminole. So the real nuances, the things that Hal Hicks and Kelly Miller and John Martin and certainly Corin Crenshaw, I would not have seen those things because I was perfectly happy with the way it was. I thought it was, I, I felt like I was the luckiest guy in the world every time I drive into Seminole. And I still do. Yeah. But so, but I do, whether it's John Doyle at Sandler or whether it's, uh, ben Crenshaw at, at here or, or uh, at Notre Dame, if you, you know, you Jack Brennan, the people that we have out there. I didn't place Jack. He's the chairman of the board. But I like working with the absolute best. And uh, if I have anything to do with who they'll be, I can promise you they'll be a hell of a lot better than I am. And so I have I love golf architecture, to your point. I've played a lot of golf courses. I, I read about them. I look at them. But I don't I know I don't know enough. Uh as they say, I don't have a lot of good ideas, but when I hear one, I, I can implement it. And that's that's that goes back to Herman's like I knew Herman Sandler was special. Right. I knew he was unique. I knew he was somewhat un- misunderstood because he was a little odd. But I thought he was like brilliant and I thought he was compassionate and passionate. And so I I I I knew that, you know, this is a guy you'd be around. And that that that's sort of been a skill set. I think my father kind of got me always looking, always looking for that type of thing, always appreciating yep. being around those kinds of people. Um, well, you've been you've been phenomenal with your time. Um, I I really appreciate you having me here, and uh, I I wanted to ask you, you know, I could ask you a cliche one just to to get you sure. out on, you know, asking you something like. Um, um, you know, if you were PGA Tour commissioner for the day, what would you do? But I'm, I don't want to ask you that one. I want to ask you about uh, what would you like to – what are you most passionate about with amateur golf? What would you like to see the amateur side of the game become over the next 10, 15 years? Have you thought about, like, how to – and not just grow the game – and not just grow the game in the d- direction that maybe it should. I'm just curious what your thoughts on maybe the future of, you know, the, the typical guy that, that maybe, you know – plays a nine-hole uh, round with his buddies or an 18-hole round but with his buddies, how do we get more people playing competitively? Uh, you know, as you said, you, when you get the pencil in your hand, it means more to you. How do we get the pencil in the hands of more golfers? Well, I, I have a very definite view of that, okay. which is hard to implement. Now, I think there are plenty of competitive golfers. I mean, I'm amazed. Now, we're, we're Notre Dame's fifth in the nation, so they're, they're good, okay? Right. They're real good, yeah. all right? But I'm, I'm amazed at how good they really are. And, and I'm not even talking, and I'm talking about Notre Dame's that I, teams that I play with that are not this particular team. This team is just overwhelmed with talent. I mean, I played with this uh, Pat Kelly, 
he's got as much talent as anybody. You got you got uh, Palmer Jackson on that team. Yep. So I, I think there is a wealth of good players. I don't think that's the issue. What I what really concerns me is the thing that I think is so important to golf, and I'm really worried about it, is the fact that in that caddy yard at Southwood Hole, when I was 11 years old, saying I was 14, there were a lot of young guys. There were a lot of, you know, guys that, you know, rough and tumble guys. There were a lot of different races. We were all, they were they're all there to go to do a job. It was about making money. It was about playing golf on Monday. And it was about playing gin rummy. And you got your status based on one, where you're a good caddy, two, where you, could you play it all, and three, could you, could you play gin rummy? And that was not only a great education, but that is where I really fell in love with golf. And I think you have sort of two issues. You have the great clubs that have a lot of wonderful caddies, none better than Pine Valley or Seminole, but it's a real job. I mean, you can make a living doing this, and I'm glad that you can, and I'm glad our guys do, and I hope we have the highest-paid caddies in the world as far as I'm concerned. I know that's not a popular view. I don't care, okay? But what you don't have in a lot of these clubs, in the real, real great club, is, you, is you, you don't have a lot of real young kids. You don't see that... Well, you can't see an 11-year-old because he can't lie. He's got to actually show his identification. He's got to be 14 or maybe it's 16 now. Right. So that whole underbelly of guys that will become golfer, will become not, not golfers, frankly, will become lawyers and bankers and teachers and broadcasters, you know. And they, that, to me, golf is one of two things. It's either instinctual or acquired characteristic. You can acquire it, but it's never quite the same. Whereas if it's instinctual, I can tell in two holes, within reason, if this guy grew up as a caddy. I have very, I don't know that I've ever played golf with someone that was a caddy that I've not enjoyed it. So what concerns me is you, you, have, you don't have this underbelly of really young kids. We have some out at the National Golf Links of America, which is great. They're trying to do a better job at Shinnecock, which is great. We're trying to get scholarships for kids. Druckermiller has done an amazing job out at Oakmont. You see young people out there. But you have two things. In the great clubs, it's too good of a job. And in the other clubs that are more stressed economically, they have need the cart revenue. Right. So where is that 14-year-old kid that is a caddy that becomes a Supreme Court judge? And he loves golf. He, no, and a kid working in the cart barn doesn't get the relationship building that a cat. It's, yeah, it's better than nothing, right? But, but it's, it's not the same, right? And that is now we have instituted something thanks to John Han and, and and everybody but me. Okay, at Seminole, I mean I'm totally supportive of it. I just have done nothing other than uh, not nothing, but is to get some younger kids from the school, and we had somewhere between four and eight really young kids. Now, what I was so happy about is the caddies were so warm and, and, out, and reaching, outreaching towards them. Right. Because in a sense, they could potentially be taking some of their income. So I was concerned as to how they would conduct myself. 
My concerns were not founded. They couldn't have been more welcoming. They're terrific. They take them to play sometimes in the afternoon. It's fantastic. I just wish somehow there were more of them. Now, we, we at least have some, so that's a start. Five right. years ago, we didn't have any. But I just, that's what I'm worried about with golf. And I've said it, and I haven't done anything about it, and I don't know what the answer is. And some of it is just the labor laws that we have, and some of it is just, you know, the, the risks that people have. It, nothing is going that way. All these things that are designed to sort of help people really hurt them. They, people won't take a risk if yep. something goes wrong. And it's really, really unfortunate. Uh, so I just have, and, and I understand these cards, these golf, golf clubs, there's an economic stress, and I just hate those golf carts, you know, and, uh, and there's no, no, no other way to say it. And yeah. I hate it at a multiple levels. You know, I hate it because there's not four young kids carrying those bags. Yep. And that, that then, and then maybe this guy went to, uh, Harvard and he can help the kid. Or maybe the guy went to Duke. I don't care where he went, you know, right. but, but I, I, that, 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 I wish I, if I, if I could be czar for a day, for a day. I would, ch that's what I would do. And I would, cause I think as good as some of these programs are, you know, the first tier, whatever it is, they come in for a few hours, they're gone. You have to have a financial reason for them to be there. I knew the difference between the guy that paid me $7 and the guy that paid me $5. To this day, I still love cash. I love the way the money felt in my hand. That had nothing to do with golf. That had to do with now I had some independence. In addition to that, I love the way some of the older caddies looked at me when they knew when I knew when to knock or when to play for gin. And then I especially loved when they wanted to partner with me on Monday. We don't have that available at the level that we should. And that's a problem, in my opinion. I don't have a solution to it. Well, when you get a solution, I want to hear it. All right. So, Jimmy, I appreciate this. This has been, uh, this is more than just golf talk, I got to tell you. Yeah, so man. I hope uh, hope my listeners enjoy this and uh, hope we can do it again. And and uh, Hopefully we can play Sunday. Hey, uh, this is on recording. I hope we can do it too. You got it. Thanks, nice Jimmy. Nice to be with you, Ben. Nice to be with you, Tom. And there you have it. Special thanks to Jimmy Dunn. What an incredible episode. What an incredible guy. Very, very fortunate to get his story. Make sure you're following along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Remember, every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We are doing daily episodes all this week, so we'll see you tomorrow for another episode here at The Back of the Range.